Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Blair Saki played Division I college volleyball and went to grad school for creative writing before finding her voice through stand-up comedy. Her first break came in 2016, co-starring in the MTV sketch show Ladylike. After becoming a new face at Just for Laughs, Saki made her way back to California, where she became the co-host for The Trevor Moore Show on Comedy Central Digital, a frequent touring partner for Ron Funches, and made her late-night TV debut telling jokes on The Late Late Show with James Corden. In 2022, she has lots of voiceover work in the can already, including gigs on Netflix's Q-Force and Adult Swim's upcoming Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie. She also co-stars in the voice cast of Comedy Central's new topical show, Fairview. And Saki spoke to me about how she has found her way thus far. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance. And now that that's out of the way, let's get to it. So Blair Saki, uh, thanks for joining me. Last things first, congratulations on your trashy debut in Comedy Central's new series, Fairview. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> uh, it, it actually, from your about page or your bio online, it seems as though you have a lot of voiceover work in the pipeline. Is that true? Uh, yeah, it seems like it's starting to uh, pick up, which is cool because, um, you know, it's something that people always, it's like SNL for people where everyone's always like, have you ever thought about voiceover? I'm like, yes, I do a lot of auditions. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What what would uh, what would the kid version of Blair think about this recent development that that someday as an adult you would be voicing cartoons? Um, I, well, it's something I've always wanted to do, so it's really exciting for me. Um, I also I hope I get into children's cartoons as well. I love <laughs> like I love Pixar movies, and I have like a bunch of nieces and nephews, so I'm hoping to land one of these Nickelodeon shows that they audition for every week, like um, Petunia the Pig or all these crazy characters that I'm always sending in for. Ones where you're not necessarily cussing? Um, no, this one's a unique uh, show. It's it's so funny. The writers are amazing. It's It's so funny to me. Like, I'm cracking up the entire recording. Yeah, I just had... RJ on my podcast and he was talking about I guess you guys have the zoom readings because now you do the readings on zoom and that you guys do them on Mondays and he says it's it's kind of amazing and hysterical how it all comes together yeah RJ is brilliant and same with Mike and Zach and I know that they're just constantly revising and and also they they really work under the gun because the, the show is topical so, um, I mean, we're recording it sort of like right before they're coming out. Um, and they just work so hard and are genius. Right. So does that for you as the talent working remotely, mostly, does that result in like getting a frantic text message or phone call at the last minute going, Blair, we need you to, to read this, t- these two lines real quick. 
it actually hasn't been like that. They're pretty organized. Um, we do pickups or they'll like sometimes change a line or two, but um, no, it's been really mellow. We record every Monday, like a new episode. Um, and it's, and it's really fun and it's really fun getting to see the cast. There's like such funny people on the cast too. So uh, now there was something you said on a podcast and I just want to ask you about this for clarification's sake. I heard you say that your parents still had never seen you perform comedy on stage or on TV. Is that true? Um, they've seen on TV now. Okay. <laughs> Recently, <laughs> they saw me do stand-up on Corden. Uh, but, yeah, they've never seen me live. They've never seen um, anything, really. They watched Fairview last night, uh, they told me, and they thought it was funny. But I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think they really want to. They're not, like really interested are they worried about what what they might hear or or what they might yeah, learn about definitely. you definitely uh totally I think they're definitely worried about that I mean I just co- I come from like a really conservative place like uh I don't think it's very like they're thrilled about having a female child speaking you know the way I speak and <laughs> stuff so how did they feel about about the previous iterations of you which were volleyball player and aspiring novelist um were they were they impressed with those versions of Blair (laughs) yeah I think volleyball was an easy one to be impressed by because it was just such a natural phenomenon for me um and I come from you know like a very sports masculine family um novelists they were like what the hell are you doing you think this is like 1930s france um and so i don't think they were thrilled about that they're like um but you know they've come to terms with it and they try to be supportive in the best way they can i don't think they're going to be coming to shows anytime soon but they do try to be supportive now Mm -hmm. now you know knowing that you grew up in competitive athletics how how do you feel like that prepared you for the competitive nature of stand-up comedy and show business? Gosh, um, I think it's like, like, I, I definitely have a, a pretty built-in work ethic from that time of my life, um, or my most of my life, like being a, a high-level athlete. Um, I would say that's helpful. And, you know, it's the whole thing, like, you're only as good as your last game. So you're only as good as your last set. And then also, you know, being able to shake off, like, a bad set and just um, keep going, I guess. But competition-wise with comedy, I think also, like, the older you get, um, you realize, like, that's, like, an insane – you can't look at it as competition, like, you – because you'll drive yourself crazy and ultimately have a really unhappy life (laughs) – Um, so it's just like, I think as I get older anyways, I think like the more fun I have and, uh, the looser I can be with everything, the, the happier I am. And that translates into my work and everything. Is that something you were able to adjust to even in your, say your first year of going to open mics in New York city? I would say, I mean, I was nervous at first. Like, I think Anthony DeVito says he remembers, like, my legs shaking on stage. 
because I was nervous. Um, <laughs> but once like I got going a little bit, I would say like six months in, I, I wouldn't say I was like afraid of people. Um, I just grew up around a lot of like, I was the youngest in my family, a lot of like older guys. And I just wasn't really afraid of the open micers, you know. How long did it take you to find your friends or to find your pocket in the New York comedy scene? I know, I know you've made lots of friends. How, how, yeah. how was that? How was that process for you in the beginning? Um, I, I found it really easy. I guess you're in these, you're in this very unique situation, like where nobody really knows what they're doing and you just kind of gravitate to, to people that you think are funny or nice. And, um, yeah, I, I loved it. I loved getting to meet people from everywhere. And, um, and I think it just happened very naturally. Yeah. Who was who was the who was your first comedy friend? Was it was it Farah or Corinne or? Oh wow! Um, you have a good memory. Um, I'm not going to say Rosebud because I know you two are frenemies. Oh no! I was in Rosebud and I started together, so we're best best friends. Um, mm-hmm. I literally remember her first show. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys too that have been in my life since I started um I just got off the phone with Rosebud a second before we um got on and it's just so cool especially the female friendships in comedy um I just didn't come from a place where I saw women like fully expressed and just I remember when I first started like seeing women above me where they just like were saying anything they wanted and I was like I've just never met anyone like that I've never seen that in my life and I thought it was so cool I I didn't grow up watching comedy so I didn't know anything about comedy basically till right before I started I had no point of reference I wasn't one of those people that it was like a lifelong dream it was like I discovered it and started it so yeah I was Right. I, I, I find that fascinating about your, your life story so far is that when you moved from LA to New York, it wasn't to do comedy at all. Yeah. And I, I actually wasn't living in LA. I was living in Orange County. Okay. Um, so I, I wasn't sure I, how soon after UCLA that you moved. Yeah, it was later. Like, like and, and you know, when I went to UCLA, I was playing volleyball and I never, like if we were going anywhere in LA, like we are going to the beach to play volleyballs. Like, so I wasn't like in, I never saw any of like the other parts of LA or like the entertainment world or anything like that. Right. So, so your plan was to write novels when you moved to New York. What was, what was the actual plan when you first showed up in New York city? Um, yeah, I moved to go to grad school at the new school um, and I got my MFA uh, to become a novelist and I started comedy um, my second semester of grad school and I just, it was sort of like, oh, I could just feel it. That t- took all my attention, but I still finished my degree because I, you know, I was like, that's, that's not going to be my career. That's crazy. <laughs> you can't be a, that's not a career. But I thought being a novelist was a career somehow. Um, but yeah. What, uh, 
how has the novel writing come along? Did you did you stop completely or do you still have chapters on your on your desktop or on your laptop that are um I ended up like for my thesis I ended up turning in a collection of short stories okay um which I'm sure are very bad and I could do much better now but um yeah I never like it just sort of went out the window um I still like fiction a lot like I spent my whole life reading fiction and um I was like this would be really cool but once I started comedy I was like oh this is it and so yeah I mean maybe later on I'll get back into fiction when I like slow down and I'm old or something but um yeah how would you describe the differences in the writing process between sitting down to write a short story or or the germ of, of an idea for a novel versus writing out bits well I was just like oh god I mean to be a novelist it's just like days and days you're like spending your whole life alone writing you know and it's so much discipline and it's really solitary and um I am super introverted so I do spend a lot of time alone um that's like probably how I ended up down that path but I don't know it's just so much better (laughs) like writing a bit and getting immediate feedback you know um usually starts with like a dumb idea and then I'll write it out but I would say the influence from that time of starting from fiction writing is that like I am super into precise wording and like the way things sound linguistically I'm not someone who like writes on stage you know I like to write (laughs) before what about in terms of I know a lot of uh fiction writers talk about having set times in the day where they're Mm going to, because you need to have structure to to be able to get anything done as a writer. Is that, did you have that when you were writing fiction and do you have that still in standup? Um, I usually, the way I write standup is usually like, I'll write like 15 minutes on one thing or like 10 minutes I like to do like large chunks which all my friends think is crazy um they they like try like one or two new jokes and work it in that way but I love like just going deep on like one subject um and I don't know it just depends like I think I'll get myself to I'll set a goal or a project and it's sort of how I work okay yeah very goal-oriented uh, how did you end up meeting Ron Funches? I know you've been touring with him for a few years now. I actually met um, Funches through, I was writing for Split Cider right before I started comedy, um, which is crazy because I did, I mean, nobody knew less about comedy than me. <laughs> um, I could write, uh, but mm-hmm. I, I mean, I was basically just writing interviews where I would I would interview them. Um, and so it's not like I was writing pieces or anything. Um, but I, I can identify. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had literally just discovered comedy about mm-hmm. six months before I started writing for split cider. Okay. Um, but I interviewed him and that's how I met like a lot of headliners at the time. And that was, I don't know, six 
months or like a year before I started comedy. So then how does, how do you, how do you come not full circle, but how do you come around then years after interviewing Ron to getting to a place where you can first open for him and then feature for him? Um, well, it was just like, I moved to LA and he asked me to do a show and then he asked me to go on tour and we had just, we would be kept in touch over years, just like, um, distant, you know, friends. Um, I always, I think he thought like I was a weirdo and like, you know, his comedy, um, is very like silly and eccentric as well. And so I think he thought we were a good fit, um, for us you know a show to put together a show what have you what have you learned from him what have you taken away from from touring with him and and being on his podcast multiple times and just hanging out with him yeah I mean like we're we're like family at this point and and Ron's good because he keeps his surf circle really tight and he really tries to um, take care of the people in his life uh he's been like he's been such a support to me the main thing I've learned is from him is that he is like has a lot of fun. Um, and I really like that because I think comedy itself is too self-serious now. <laughs> a lot of it, I think mm-hmm. it's too self-serious and, um, and is too like hardcore and all this stuff. And, um, just in it, and also, you know, trying to have a career in this business uh, as you get older and like support yourself and have a quality of life and everything. Like sometimes, you know, you can just get, it's just, I like that he prioritizes having fun, like in his personal life and in comedy and just having a good life, I think is like really important and that can get lost easily. Was that how, was that a factor in terms of you? taking up breath work over the pandemic? I know that's something that's relatively new aspect in your life. Um, I wouldn't call breath work fun at all. Uh, (laughs) I don't think it's fun. It's, it's, uh, just, I'm really interested in learning. Like I love learning. Uh, I've always been that way. So I'm always, you know, researching and taking classes and courses and stuff when I have time. And over the pandemic, I suddenly had a lot of time. So I took like Reiki certification, all sorts of weird shit. I'm breathwork was one. And um, I'm really into like psychology and therapy and stuff. And I have done a lot of cognitive therapy and breathwork is basically about like getting into the body and out of your mind, which I think is difficult in this day and age. And we don't spend a lot of time in that space. True enough. And I know even, even before the pandemic, I was, I was hearing a lot of talk about the, the concept of like the body keeps the score, I think. is Yeah. The, have yeah. you read that book? I haven't, but I've talked to enough people that I feel like I've, <laughs> I've learned some of the aspects of it. Yeah, I mean, that was, I read that book and that was um, part of why I tried, I tried uh, breath work, but I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it like really registers logically. Oh yeah, no, I, you know, as I've, as I've both grown older and started to take, try to take better care of myself, you know, practice self-care, 
I've, I've tried to be more in tune with like, Oh, what is my body telling me? Whether it's, whether it's an ache or a pain or, or do I just need a nap or do I just need a sandwich? You know, Mm -hmm. what's, what's really going on here? Right. Right. Well, I also think that um, when you are an entertainer in any form, like even on a small scale, um, your energy is like being all dispersed out to people and like staying grounded in who you are. Um, it, it takes, is important it, even more so than if you're, you know, not uh, in public life. Right. Um, you know, Fairview is your, is your new Comedy Central project, but I know it's not your first time working with Comedy Central because you, you had been kind of a big part of the Trevor Moore show, which was a Comedy Central web series. What can you tell me about that whole experience? Um, yeah, I mean, I've been working with Comedy Central now since like, I don't know, probably 2016 on different things. But um, the Trevor Moore show, it it was just a crazy experience because I had just moved to LA and I got asked to be on Trevor's 24-hour Trevathon um, to promote Mm -hmm. his special. Right. And I had never met Trevor. And he's, God, I keep talking about him like he's still here um but yeah no I know it's delicate to talk about so yeah um Trevor was really into like a lot of just weird science stuff really into like um like robots singularity like all sorts (laughs) of weird shit like he just loved all that stuff um Mm -hmm. and just like going down like researching all these like weird things on the internet and um so he had on, like, during my slot, he had on these, like, the two foremost, like, uh, researchers of uh, Singularity. And, okay. you know, obviously, I'm a comedian. And so they were, like, having very serious discussion. And I was just sort of completely messing around when I went on. And they asked me if I could stay, like, a couple more hours, but I couldn't. And um, so then when, like, they pitched the show, I guess... Um, they asked, Trevor asked me to co-host, um, with him and Sam and, and we had such a fun time and he basically found the weirdest people he could find on the internet, uh, <laughs> to come on. And, uh, yeah, he was just, he was just such a delight and so beloved and one of the nicest people I've ever met or, or worked with. So, I look back, I'm like, God, that was such a, a blessing. And I do think that that show could have, like, would have gone on to um, probably make it to air. Like, I just know from going on the road and stuff, how many people I didn't realize till I went around the country, like how many people loved it. Yeah. And yeah, it's, I I totally agree. And, and everybody agrees that like, Trevor was the nicest, greatest guy. And, but I, I thought it was, it was amazing because, you know, he had Sam on the show and they go all the way back to college, even pre white yeah. kids. And then there you are. <laughs> it's like the comic foil. So I was like, how did, <laughs> how did Blair end up in this, in this crazy mixed up universe? Yeah. I mean, it was so random and like Trevor just like, Trevor was just really supportive of me. And, um, 
I it was so cool to that he asked me to do that. Um, we laughed so hard. Like I remember, I even told him like um, I think it was like a couple of weeks before he died, but there was like a clip or something where I was just like I, and I I can't watch any of it. But like, I was laughing so hard the whole time. I was like, this is so annoying. I was so annoyed by my own laugh. I was mm -hmm. like, how could anyone watch this? But it was just so funny. I, I was laughing to death the whole time. Um, but yeah, I mean, Trevor, Trevor was like a really special person. And it's one of those things that I'll never really understand. Because this man, like... <laughs> he was really living the dream. Like he had been with his wife for 20 years. They were super in love. They had this like darling boy. He had like, I always joke with him that he had like seven TV shows going at once. Like he had so many projects with so many people and he was just like so in energetic and enthusiastic and just, it's just, yeah, it's just really tragic. Um, yeah, and it, it sounds like. It changed me though. His, him dying. It, it did change you? Yeah, like, I feel like my life changed, like, weirdly, where I was just like, oh, it could just go any second, like, you know, like, I gotta just enjoy life. Yeah, I heard you, I you actually did a podcast with Funches that aired, like, a couple weeks after Trevor died, and I and I remember you saying to, to Ron that you had started taking to telling everyone how much you enjoyed them. Oh yeah. I try to do that all the time. Like I don't know. It actually is just like kind of natural now. Cause I'm just like, Oh, nothing is guaranteed. And you just like, you look at someone like that where you're like, Oh God, like he was just so uh, treasured. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like this kind of the same, the similar thing happened with Bob Saget too, where it's just like, yes. Yeah. It's just like one one false move and and it's just I over. know. Yeah, and, uh, I mean it's so it's so crazy and unexplainable. Yeah. Did did it change your goals and expectations in terms of show business or or what you want out of life going forward other than getting parts in Comedy Central <laughs> animated series obviously. Um I mean, I don't know, like, I think when you're coming up on a, as a comic, you're like, okay, how am I going to survive? Like, how am I going to make money? And um, that's always, like, been an issue of, <laughs> like, why, like, why there's a lot of pressure, because it's just a crazy thing to do to think you can even make money and make a living off of this career. Um, but like you know things have been going well for like a couple of years now and I think it's just like stepping back and like letting go and just trying to enjoy I like I just try to enjoy stuff um as much as possible and live in the moment you know well I I, I appreciate you taking taking some moments to <laughs> to get on zoom and, and hang out with me I really do appreciate it Oh yeah, for sure. Thanks for um having me. It's uh it's great. I saw on your schedule uh that you're going to be at South by Southwest. Yeah, I'm excited. I I've never um performed with the festival. Like I hosted something for MTV, I don't know, when I was younger at South by Southwest and like hopped on shows, but I've never 
done the festival. So I'm really excited to do it this year. And Rosewood's going to be there. We're going to have fun. This should be very exciting. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I look forward to seeing, uh, hearing your voice in future episodes of Fairview. And uh, what else, what else do you have coming up? I ha- I'm in the new Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie okay. um, that's coming out. And I'm really excited about that. I have a podcast with um, iHeartRadio coming out on um, March 28th. That'll be uh, Dear Owen Wilson, a version of my live show that I've had for a while. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that's really what's coming up in, in the immediate future and then just going on the road and yeah awesome well i look forward to checking all that stuff out thank you so much thanks blair really appreciate it have a good one This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showburst Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean L. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.